Talmor, Sheshin Mugachi. Talmor is my home. My family have worked the land for generations. My grand says the island does not belong to us, but we belong to the island. And we must be ready for a great evil is coming. And death follows with it. Listen and subscribe to the latest season of Undertow, The Harrowing, a story glass production presented by Realm, available wherever you get your podcasts. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey, it's me, Anita Flores. Normally, I don't do... This, but I am dedicating this new episode of I'm Listening to two special friends. Um, About a week ago, I had to say goodbye to my dog companion. His name was Tucker, and I met him through my roommate, Jenna, uh, and this is my this was my first dog friend. You know, we got to know each other, you know, through about 3 years of living together. And um honestly, living with a dog truly changed my life. They just are always there <laughs> in a good way. And they never give their opinions and you can talk in front of them and cry in front of them and just be your general self in front of them, and all they want in return is your love and affection. It's a pretty great relationship. Um, So, boy, do I miss him a lot. uh, I'm kind of glad we never had to, when Fraser was on, I'm glad we never got to see what life was like uh, for Martin without Eddie. I really feel like, well, I know that my roommate... Uh, definitely lost her Eddie. She lost her Eddie this month. Um, and I I don't know what my equivalent is. I guess in this analogy, I am Frasier losing Eddie because as much as Frasier, uh, you know, per- makes it seem like Eddie is his arch dog enemy, I know that he loved, he loved Eddie. I more openly loved Tucker. Uh, there, we never had a, uh, a frenemy thing. We were always friends. He was with me when I had to have major surgery and I was home recovering for about 10 weeks. You know, he watched TV. He watched Frasier with me. I think he liked it. So I would like to dedicate this episode to my dog friend, Tucker, and my roommate friend, Jenna. Um, and if you would like to contribute to uh, a GoFundMe, there's a GoFundMe uh, for all of Tucker's medical bills. Uh, Jenna really did everything she could for Tucker um, to keep him alive. But, you know, at a certain point, I think she realized it was better for him to not be in pain anymore. And... Um, but now she's got, you know, a mountain of vet bills. So I'm going to throw up a link somewhere, probably on my Instagram uh, and or Twitter uh, after this episode airs. And um, if you can donate even the teeniest amount, it would be much appreciated. Well, enjoy the show and um, hold your pet companions tight. They really and truly are wonderful. At this moment in time, I'm really, I'm giving a super shout out to dogs. They are truly lovely, wonderful companions. And um, I think you should pet a nice dog today. Enjoy the show.
Welcome to I'm Listening. This is the Frasier fan podcast where we discuss everything imaginable about the show Frasier. So today is a special episode um, and I'm going to start it off a little bit differently than I usually do uh, because this episode and the guest that I have on has to do with a a very special tweet uh, that I saw on February 21st, 2018. Uh, and this uh, this tweet said the following. We did predictive text again, and this time, dot, 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 it's Frasier. I, ha- I still don't fully understand what predictive text is, but we're going to talk all about it today with our very special guest. Um, so let's welcome comedian and writer Nat Towson and writer Amy Barnes to the show. Um, I have these two very special guests today because they were both involved in writing this predictive text script. Nat, would you call it, is that what you would call this, a predictive text script? Yeah, sort of. Sort of. It's definitely a screenplay, and it, uh, we used predictive text to write it. I think that the one detail that I would make sure you understand is that it's not uh, written by an algorithm or a program. It's written by people using algorithms and programs, so there's still a person steering. Got it. All right. So this is good intel to have um, before. I think we should just read the script. It's very short, everybody, but I would like you all to appreciate and understand what we're talking about. So Amy and Nat, if you would do me the pleasure, I pre-wrote down what roles we could each play. Okay. So I obviously want to be Frasier um, (laughs) and I can do stage direction. Um, Nat, if you could be Niles and Daphne and Amy, if you could be Roz and Mark. Martin, that would be much appreciated. So let's uh, let's read the script. Okay. And I don't and I'm going to include myself in this. I don't do impressions. I don't expect anyone here to get into character. Just no pressure. Okay. Interior, Frazier's supposedly worthwhile living room, midnight, Guatemalan time. Frazier enters wearing his pondering suit. He laughs triumphantly into the corridor. Frazier exits. Martin and Eddie arrive at the apartment. Martin and Eddie arrive at the apartment. They both rush into the kitchen. As they wrestle over a half-eaten donut, the camera pans over to Frasier in his bedroom, holding his ear to the wall. I'm listening. The phone rings. Frasier returns to the living room and answers it. He looks confused. I'm sorry, this isn't Edward's fashions. Yes, I'm sure it is not. I'm a psychiatrist with a woman interest who's a bit of a pretentious sociopath. Frasier hangs up the phone and looks at it with disgust. Martin triumph Martin triumphantly staggers out of the kitchen. Who is there? It was a mistake. They said they were trying to find some place to buy English boys' pants. Well, that's fine. There isn't anything complicated about that. It's just a little misunderstanding. This is the ultimate offense to my dignity. Niles enters, slightly smooths his hair, and looks at Fraser expectantly. Frazier, I don't want to impose, but Maris is quite keen on your eyes. I have to take your eyes or else she'd said she'd take mine. Frazier, I need eyes. You do your work on the phone, so you don't. No, Niles. I bought this apartment for the view of the Space Needle, although I'm very disappointed I can't touch it from here. Frazier holds his arm out towards the skyline and starts weeping softly. I would like chili for dinner. Over Niles' dead body. Just pour the chili on me. That should do the trick. If we pour the chili on dead Niles, can I still have some? Dad! Martin produces an enormous cut of meat. (laughs) This big ham is my favorite son. You guys are too fancy and bad. Interior, Daphne's canopy bed at night. Daphne is lying on the bed asleep and shivering. She turns and mouths, Frasier, to the camera, still entirely asleep. Begin dream sequence. Interior, Fraser's living room, six years after Cheers. Daphne is folding Martin, even though he has obviously not been ironed. She looks down at him for a long beat, then notices Fraser staring at them. You don't know how to iron my dad? Fraser gasps twice. It's no problem. I didn't want you to make me a nice smooth guy, so that's fine. Martin rolls himself up and puts himself behind the counter. End of dream sequence. Interior, Daphne's canopy bed, morning. Daphne wakes up laughing and sweating. Oh, Daphne Moon, no sprinkler system can ever put out the fire in your head. Interior, Cafe Nervosa. When Fraser is there, everyone in Cafe Nervosa covers their ears as the man who swallowed spiders once again proves himself a braggart. Oh, come on, he's average. I'm the one who might own Rembrandt's. You know what, Fraser? Fancy espresso and a proudly difficult disposition aren't the same thing as being happy. 
Roz, you've been with a man a minute for a while. You know Ned and his little toes. You just get into bed with any outdoorsman in your community. I'm giving advice that you could use, Frazier, and you just called me a slut to shut me down. Haven't you ever seen the show? That is exactly what I do on Frasier. Interior, Frasier's living room. Niles' birthday, but nobody notices. Martin rolls open the window and gently sticks his head out of it. Also, Frasier is there. You think I was afraid of that damn painting? I wasn't afraid. I thought you were my son, Frasier. I fancy. Isn't proper grammar I am fancy? How dare you? He isn't even wearing his fancy shirt today. Daphne enters carrying a cake. She places the cake on the balcony and throws it over the rail. Well, Dad, you never thanked Maris for the dinner that you were not at. It's all very complicated, but she's stuffed in the kitchen drawer now. She'll have too much room in there. Better to put her in a box for matches. No need to take the matches out. It's a good thing there is no spark between you. The phone rings. Fraser answers the phone. He laughs angrily. He hangs up the phone. Interior, Fraser's living room. Closing credits. Toss salad and scrambled egg plays. Fraser sits by the phone, his eyes wide with paranoid fear. Behind him, Eddie stares just as intently at Fraser. Martin enters and shows Eddie his leash. Eddie barks, causing Fraser to jump into the ceiling. He is dead. Daphne takes the iron out of the refrigerator and touches it to her forehead. Fade out. And scene. Incredible work, everybody. Thank now, you, the you. only reason I wasn't laughing through that whole thing is because I've read this so many times. <laughs> okay. And when I, the first time I read it, I was uh, at work and I, I, every few lines I kept going, oh my God, oh my God. And I feel like that was the reaction of a Frasier fan because it was like beyond laughing. It was more of like, this feels so real. Um, so, uh, so good work, everybody. I have many follow-up Thank questions. Um, so, and I'm not sure who is, well, no, yeah, let's, let's go with, with both of you, but um, yeah, Amy, what is predictive script? And I'm curious, what was your part in all of this? Well, I, this was one of the first um, things that I did with them. I was not there for like some of the earlier ones, like the Harry Potter that came before this. And the process is they kind of ask who knows this TV show kind of virtually raise your hand. And so we work on these and the beginning process is, is that we, someone has pulled that script, all of the Fraser scripts and put it into the format, which we used, which is the Wodehouse. I guess I've never said that out loud. I'm, I'm in Tennessee, Woodhouse. so I'm not with, I'm, I'm separated, but it is Wodehouse, correct? Is that how you say that? Woodhouse. Where, where are we? It's, it's like the, the PG Woodhouse, the British author. So it's pronounced Woodhouse. Woodhouse. So I've been pronouncing it incorrectly yeah. far away from everyone else in my head. So, <laughs> yeah, we all, we all communicate online. So it's. So we're in a Slack. Uh, we're actually in a Slack and we meet once a week and discuss these and set up what we're going to work on. So um, oh. within that, we take all of those scripts and use the keyboards that are within that, which are all of the script words and the directions. I think on this one, do we have a separate one for stage directions and then for each character as well? I can't remember how. Yeah, so what we, we essentially do is we, we sort of parse these scripts. Uh, we took a ton of different Frasier episodes that I was able to find online, and then we split them up by every character had their own, basically make a text file from every character's dialogue, and then another one from the direction, from the action or stage direction, whatever you want to call it. And then we use these to, uh, we load them into this software that is Botnik's sort of signature tool, which is called Voicebox. And the way that Voicebox works is it's very similar to the predictive word suggestions in a text messaging app. Like it says like, you know, if you start writing a text, like I have to go uh, and you know, it'll suggest two. like, I have to go to something. I have to go home will be the next suggestion. I have to go away. Oh. And that's based on average text messages. But the more you use it, it's actually being trained. That algorithm that's predicting what word you're going to use next is being trained on your text messages. So it's looking at it and it's going, what would Anita most likely, what word would you most likely use based on your previous texts? And if you have like Google and a Google keyboard, yeah. it's recording a lot more of what you type than you may realize, but Ooh. it's, be, yeah, it's being trained on everything that you write. So side note, check your permissions, but uh, our software works differently. Whereas uh, instead of being trained on something that you wrote, mm -hmm. you can take it and you can point it at any corpus of text, which corpus meaning, meaning just an amount of text. Uh -huh. And so essentially what we're able to do is by creating these uh, different uh, 
files of dialogue for each for different character. We're able to create a predictive text keyboard that predicts what Fraser would most likely say next, what Niles would most likely say next. Mm. And it's really only basing it on the last three words in the sentence. So Mm -hmm. it's not even going to spit out perfect syntax if you just keep taking the first suggestion. Mm -hmm. So what's good about that? I mean, it's limited. There's there is software that exists that's. Uh, you know, there are neural networks, which we use for other projects and stuff sometimes, but there there do exist algorithms and software which can create full syntactic sentences. But the whole point is that it's not automated. It's uh, it's a human steering. So it's sort of a we think of it as collaboration. Uh-huh. And so you have to kind of use this to shape sentences. But you get these sort of patterns of because you have this three step predictive or three word memory predictive text situation. It will give you these like strings of words. And what's fun about that is that you see these patterns recurring as you try to write with it, and you, and you realize, like, oh, Fraser does use that turn of phrase a lot or that sentence structure a lot, and that kind of allows you... It, it sort of surfaces these trends in the thing that you're parodying mm-hmm. and allows you to sort of rise to the... Sur- bring them to the surface and, and, and sort of... Um, it allows you to isolate these trends and then sort of amplify them. And so I think it's, it really lends itself to writing parody because it isolates all these these little turns of phrase and stuff that you might not normally notice about this thing that you've watched so much of, but then when you see it pulled up or, or slightly heightened, you realize, oh yeah, that is extremely Frasier. That is extremely Roz. Right. So does that mean, uh, I mean, obviously, so there's, there's that element and then there's the human actual people element. So does that mean like, okay, one line from this script, for example, from Martin, I would like chili for dinner. So is it like something or the the software spit out X words and then you sort of shaped it? Yes. So you have, well, not, not exactly. You have, you know, much like on your phone, you have three word suggestions. We use, we have a list of about, I mean, you can choose how many you want, but I, I usually work with um, 21 suggestions or 28 rather. So it's a grid of, of the 28 most likely words to come next. And so I was probably on that grid. Someone clicked it would could easily follow I in a sentence. So someone clicked that Mm -hmm. I would like that's a very common. And so then those are three words. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, apparently in the Martin keyboard, one of the words suggested if you type I would like, Mm -hmm. that's one of the 28 most likely words to follow. I would like is chili. Ah. It's in at least more than one script. So that came up. So someone showed chili. So then at that point, you know, it suggests chili for for dinner. You know, so it figured that out. Those are not always the first suggestion, but someone is navigating through. They probably picked the first most likely, the seventh most likely suggestion. But those words are all in Martin's dialogue somewhere. And so the algorithm has gone and looked and said, after this, he's most likely to use these words. And then some writer thought that that was funny and found a way to make that sentence. Well, I think like that one, it was like, I would like. And so I think that was one of the ones that I I think as we move through that. But I think it was like chili or raincoat or there was some random things and so we as we wrote this some of it we did a little bit more collaborative where we would say okay what would martin say if if we're doing this specific setting so some of that was a little dictated if it was i would like choice for dinner i think we maybe at that point had written a lot of the script and we had sat back down and said okay these are the scenes we have they're doing these Mm -hmm. certain things and so that one made sense in air quotes more than some of the other ones i mean and then it followed in. Yeah, there's actually, oh, sorry, go ahead. There's actually a line, and I, I'm noticing this in revisiting this project. I'm kind of glad we did. The So we have this, um, I can describe our whole writing process start to finish if that would help, but we have this voting system where we vote on some of our favorite lines. We, we, we mm-hmm. basically write without a narrative in mind. Okay. The top voted line, I realized, got cut from the final script, unfortunately, that Amy wrote, and it is, it's a, it's a, two lines of dialogue that I love so much. I can't, I can't believe this didn't make it into the final script. I forgot about this, which is just, uh, Martin says, I would like this chair to be my grave. <laughs> and Fraser responds, it is obviously full of enough dirt for that, <laughs> which is oh such God. like a good, slightly wrong Fraser joke. But yeah, Amy wrote that. And, and Amy, that, that is there, a great there's actually line. a very good reason why that was cut. This has been a while. You have to realize February to now. Oh, we actually cut that. Because John Mahoney died like two weeks before we did this. Oh, so we thought that, that I was, forgot about we that. We did go back and revisit that. So that got cut. And then there That's was another fair. reference to the grave yeah. at the end. So we actually changed the ending slightly because we rewrote 
we rewrote something in those last three lines between Miles Martin and Frazier, but we had to cut that first line. But it was right. part of that silly section. And yes, was, you're, I forgot about that because we all even delayed the release yeah. of the piece because it was the week that John Mahoney died. And we just didn't want to like be like, and now here's a wacky version of this guy who we actually care about. You but know? One of the Listen, funny things I, on Facebook was that yeah. silly line. And I think that Nikki might have said something about this. One of our other writing people, someone came onto the social our media managing editor, in fact. and there was a big joke where um, he put on there, pour some chili on me. Like the, I think it's a poison song. Pour some sugar on me. Yeah. Pour yeah. some sugar on yeah. me. So there was yeah. a reference to that. So it actually worked. But we knew that some of that line was missing, and we've had other processes where within these scripts or within the projects, we've had some projects offered us, and there's some things where we do as a group, and we did get to group, together as a group and say, is this respectful? Is this too much over the line? And we've done that several times where there's kind of a collaborative, we meet back up in Slack and say, okay, he just died. We can maybe say if I pour some chili on dead Niles, that's okay, but if we say, yeah. Your your grave. Also, Fraser can sure. die in the. Uh, that was a little bit over the line. Whatever you call the sting of the. Yeah. So we are careful. Sorry, on, I, mean, I think we're very careful and re- as, as respectful. As, and that doesn't happen very often, but I think there's been a few other occasions where we've gone back in and rewritten to make sure that. I we're think pretend. you made the right call. It was still fun. Yeah, I think in general, we're parodying things that we love. Yeah. Like you wouldn't, you know, I sat out, for example, the Scrubs parody, which got pretty successful because I didn't watch Scrubs yeah, or we had yeah. a game of thrones parody like you know i really have no input to something like that because i think anyone can write absurd funny lines using this process which is fun but uh and it's fun to create weird nonsense that way but generally for these parodies that we're writing it's much more powerful or, or useful if the person has a deep love of the source material because then the patterns that they sort of subconsciously have always been recognizing in the source material that sort of get teased out through this process. You'll have that recognition. Whereas, you know, if I were doing the scrubs, scrubs keyboard, I'm just going, Oh, that's, that's a funny right. sentence, but it doesn't reflect anything of the character. And I'm not imagining the actor saying it, you know, it, it's more important that you have, I think, I think, you know, there's a lot of like internet shit post culture and like, uh, you know, deconstructing, generally beloved source material of people just with the sort of like nihilistic, like look how much I destroyed this thing. And like, there's, there's, you know, there's a value to destroying something beautiful, but I think that our, um, our process is a lot more reverent. We, we are only parodying things that we have at least some degree of love for. for I the mean, most part. yeah. Like for me as a person who has a podcast about Frasier, like I, you like, I ha- do you watch the show? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I've seen the show. Uh, <laughs> Every line, um, every, every line felt like it had, uh, received the attention of a person who understood that show very deeply. So, uh, well, I'm curious, uh, well, no, number one, this is my number one question. Cause that was, I love that line. Do you have this, like, do you have a list of like cut lines? I have a list of every line submitted. <laughs> oh my God. Um, that, I, that was the number one. I'm, I'm glad that we actually get to do, I would love, maybe we have to start like a Botnik po- podcast would, where we go behind the scenes, but I love that actually getting to talk because so much good material gets cut for every, I, I usually, I was saying this to Anita before we turned the mics on, but I usually turn in a piece and the number one piece of feedback I get is this is funny and it's too long. And so I usually end up cutting at least a page from everything we release. Why don't we call this, I want to make a, make up a segment right now called too hot for Botnik. And if you, I would love for, if, if, since you have it in front of you, Nat, um, I'd love to hear a few of, uh, some cut lines that were really, really good. Sure. Um, Amy, if you want to pull up the Woodhouse as well, I, I, I'm going to, going to praise Amy here again because she writes some of the best I mean this I've had Amy as a writer on a number of projects that I've run and she has some of the I mean we have a lot of good writers but she has some of the top quality submissions that not all don't always make it in I would say a lot of this script is hers but here's another one that didn't make it in by Amy uh, which is I have a deep love of prunes and cranes but not cranes that eat prunes (laughs) (laughs) we just didn't find a place for it but I love that one and you do, I do have to say that the editing, though, is a big part of this because you do have to look through. I mean, I don't know how many lines are on here, but this one was one that because there are so many characters. Dozens. He probably yeah. to edit it down, even from that initial list. <laughs> there were so many awesome lines. Sorry. So the editing is awesome. Too. You have to give credit to the editing because 
Guatemala. I'm going to give some credit to you, too, Amy. I'm just laughing. I read another. I think Amy wrote, I think this is a Niles line, and it's just, seriously, Fraser, did you have to attack my hawk with a sword? Which I could picture. With your sword, I was actually picturing him in Fraser's apartment attacking me. Yeah, with a hawk, and Fraser's got, like, a broad sword. Yeah, that's... I think I just want to hear Amy lines. Oh, no. Well, there's an interesting one in here. Some of the most very simple ones. There is the interior Fraser's Kitchen, Midnight Guatemalan Time. And that one may have actually made it. I can't remember. Oh, yeah. But but I love that one because just the simplicity of why is it Midnight Guatemalan Time? And you have to think about it. Yeah, it was really fun. I was going to say one of the most fun things to write in this script was we had to have a bunch of scene headers. And in, you know, if you're not familiar with screenplay (laughs) format, you write interior, exterior, and then you write you know, usually a very brief description right. of where they are, you know, kitchen, something, and then a uh, hyphen or M dash technically. Well, and I think there were and, some funny uh, Daphne lines. Then the time. Yeah, some funny Daphne lines that got cut from the bedroom scene because even we were a little confused as we were writing. Oh, it was, <laughs> there was a, the dream sequence was way longer originally. There was a whole thing with her trying to iron Martin and folding him up and r- rolling him up and Frazier saying, you don't know how to iron my dad. And she's like crying. And he was like, I thought somehow that I had, you know, you find that special person that can iron your father or something like that. And he's like, I thought that might be you, Daphne, but please don't. He's like, I, he's like, I don't, there's something like, I don't, I don't mind, but please don't come in tomorrow or something. There's a whole long sequence where Daphne was like weeping at her inability to make art, uh, Martin less wrinkly. Yeah. And that was like, half a page and I think at some point it was it was hard to to visualize already I think that's one thing if we if we mess with the reality too much mm-hmm. you're already forcing people to like strain and picture this thing so if you get too deep into a dream sequence it kind of breaks I think there's like a sort of base reality to this humor and, mm-hmm. and we're, we're relying on the fact that like everyone knows what the Frasier set or anyone who watches Frasier mm-hmm. creates this reality in their brain right and so I think that what's fun about this is like if you're familiar with the show and you read this script, not my crappy Niles impression, uh, you, if you read it in, in your head, you'll hear Absolutely. your version of all the characters. You'll see it in the set. So it actually like kind of creates the parody for you. Whereas if we were to like shoot this with actors pretending to be them, it wouldn't be nearly as good. So I think the thing about the dream sequence, which is as funny and absurd as it was, it was harder to picture because it was so far out of the reality of Frasier that it wasn't really reading like a funny parody like the rest of the stuff was. So involved. it got drastic. There was a bag of beans there involved. Were what? There was a bag of beans involved. Oh, yeah, Daphne had a bag of beans. beans. I found the line down here. And for some reason, she's picking up a bag of beans and ironing Martin. Ironing Martin. And both parts were funny, <laughs> but we eliminated the beans because we just couldn't. It was probably like 11 just o'clock much, on a yeah. Sunday night, and we couldn't figure out the beans and the ironing. <laughs> Yeah, there, and I noticed that there is still that remainder, which I yeah. love in the sting at the end, where uh, Daphne, when she's awake, tries pressing the iron to her face just to see. Like. Well, I, after I read that line, I I actually wrote down the thing that, like, I I loved the script, but I noticed I was like, there's a few things that make this pretty dark, and I was curious, like, mm-hmm. so like for example. Uh, Daphne whispering Frasier to camera, stuffing Maris in a drawer. <laughs> Frasier dies. Daphne touches an iron to her forehead. Um, so I'm curious. Those those were some, and I loved it, but those were some dark choices. The iron to the forehead part was actually, it sounds worse. It was supposed to be a light, like the iron is off and she had this dream about ironing a person and she's still not sure it was a dream. So she's like testing the iron. Oh, in my head. That may not have come through. In my head, she was putting a hot iron to her face. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, or maybe it's hot, but the idea was that it was supposed to be, she's like still not a hundred percent sure left over from the dream if it was a dream. You know, someone, someone, um, cause I read, if you tweet at Botnik Studios, I will probably read it. Um, I probably shouldn't reveal that, but I, I respond too much on social media and I respond to people, especially who ask about how we make stuff. Cause I think our process is a little, a little opaque sometimes, but I think it's interesting. And someone reached out. I don't have the tweet in front of me, but they said there was a thread that they tagged me and be like, Hey, maybe Nat Towson can comment on this. And they were talking about why Frazier lends itself so well to surrealism like they were mm-hmm. loving all these weird moments about Fraser. Fraser gets stuck in the ceiling and dies and stuff like <laughs> like why does that sort of and they're like you know why why is Fraser good for that and the answer i gave was something like there's a rigidity there's like a 
dual layer rigidity to Frasier, which is that it's about this world in which there are these, you know, Frasier and Niles are from this structured society where they have these standards. And a lot of the humor within the show comes from the conflict between that and like their dad or the world outside of them or them being like, no, this is proper. This is the way Mm -hmm. things ought to be. And they have these like deeply held beliefs. And depending on how you feel about it, they're either totally pompous and demonstrative or that they really philosophically believe that these things are important and then let their egos get the best of them. But regardless, a lot of that tension in the show comes from, or a lot of the humor in the show comes from the tension between the sort of rigidity of the world that they grew up in or choose to participate in and the world around them. And then you have the external rigidity, which is the 1990s sitcom format, right? Like it's the show itself has to have the exact same plot structure you know, it's a plot for the first seven minutes and then the B plot for two. And then they come back and, forth, and there's, you know, the cold open and the sting. And uh, we're so so there's like this dual layer of structure that they're sort of being confronted with. So I believe what I said was this sort of uh, multi-tier rigidity to the world of Frasier really lends itself to the uh, to the sweet torment of manipulation yeah. when you start to f- break that reality it, it, it really i would agree elicits i think yeah getting getting weird it. with fraser <laughs> works i mean i would say like right now i still feel like there's pro- like i found i just found a new fraser like weird fraser mm-hmm. twitter account but like there's at least two to three of seinfeld and i feel like it started there and i feel like it's trickling down oh yeah and yeah now, you well, know, there's the there's, there's the modern Frasier. seinfeld and then seinfeld 2000 which right. is like the more absurd version but yeah i think everyone's kind of copying that so it was so weird so this fits perfectly mm-hmm. to me for what i am calling weird fraser so nat obviously I think, yeah oh, sorry, sorry. Well, i was just gonna say like i think yeah. it's like like it would for example to like close that finish that thought or kind of create a counterpoint like i don't think it's interesting to parody the simpsons i know a lot of people love to like I made this weird gif out of the Simpsons or, you know, like I re-edited the Simpsons screenshot or whatever. Uh, anything can happen on the Simpsons. Sure. So it's not interesting to me when you're like, whoa, look, Bart's upside down. Like, yeah, they did something crazier than that 20 years before, like the current season, you know. Right. Uh, but with Frasier, I think it's a little different because rarely. In fact, I remember like they they I mean, they rarely go to close up. They rarely break like the look of the show is so rigid well, that like, like if they play yeah when the there's way a, they break it up yeah when there's a new set you go oh my god like what's you know they're at a, a store all of a sudden absolutely so it's a lot more structured well, and i sense. will say that we are a little for some reason botnik we followed this up with star trek like shortly after that i think or shortly before and the whole falling out of yeah the, the ceiling, next generation falling out of the ceiling we actually had that somebody threw jello over something and, and fell out of the ceiling and that it also worked in star trek so it's interesting in a different format with different narrative with it that came up sure. again. The text actually yeah. brought that up again. And it was different that there was a similar thing where someone falls out of the ceiling in khaki pants and there's green jello that goes over a wall. <laughs> right. I remember that. And it was interesting. Not only that, but there's a lot of like the wow. character screams and screams mm-hmm. and screams and dies or something like that. Like we, we have to avoid getting too morbid because I feel like it naturally kind it of does. leads itself because we want to sort of torment. We want to mm-hmm. kind of like... Twist like we have these like these characters are real in some narrative and we sense, want right? To kill them. <laughs> well, really though, like they have power. Like I mean, if you want to get really philosophical about it, like people, you could make the argument that a character that was on television for eleven years has power. It like exists as an entity outside of Kelsey Grammer, outside of a script, outside of paper, outside of text. Like the character Fraser exists on some narrative and meta narrative level. So the thing that we're interacting with is not the Fraser script. It's not Kelsey Grammer himself. It's this almost social concept that is the character Fraser. And so I think that we naturally want to torture him sometimes. Yeah. he. I, I, I don't mind when bad things happen to Fraser cause it's uh comical. Well, what I was going to ask is, I mean, uh, Amy, I, I definitely spoke to Nat about the fact that he definitely is a Frasier fan, but I'm curious, are you also, well, I, I am. And I'm, uh, a craniac? I do, I do and I nice. had not watched it as much in the initial, like when it was out originally, but watched it more when it was in syndication, went back through and probably did the version of binge watching because I think it was on like five nights a week or something and went back through because I think you get a little bit more of the context of it. And I think it was actually back on, I think I went back and watched some episodes that had popped back up on TV in syndication, like on some random channel and went back and watched it again. Because I think when you watch it and you're like waiting for an episode each week, you remember it, mm-hmm. but I think there's a distance between it. 
so I actually had gone back. I've watched it probably more in a row in syndication later on. But definitely, yes, I am. Um, and, and I think that there's something about the yes. fact that, like what he pointed out with the Simpsons, is that there is a place for this. Because even though it's a mm-hmm. little offbeat, probably, it is still in Seattle. We still mention certain things. And so I think that's what keeps it on track is those are the things that are recognizable. You know, it's Seattle, you know, it's where they are. And we had some lines that came up um, looking back at this, that you can tell someone who maybe was writing this and maybe didn't know it quite as well. There's some things that are kind of jarring when you see them that you just can't make fit. So I think that's the credit to the editor that really has to know that show even better to go back in and say, this line really is jarring. Even in this format, we can't write it like that. So it's interesting to see Absolutely. that. Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, I think you, you go through sometimes and just go, well, this this is a very funny funny line, but it breaks the reality too much, or it just doesn't have enough grounding in the narrative, the overall Fraser narrative that like, it was like, a, you know, it's like we were just saying, like you have to have, like you said, like it's Seattle, it's Fraser's apartment, like you have to have it, make it feel real enough so that the unusual details stand out still. If it becomes completely absurd, then it's just the names of the characters that you're putting in there, but not... It doesn't have enough of the sitcom reality. And, and I think that's what Botnik does well is edit that to the point where it makes more sense like that. So that's in quotations. <laughs> Since you guys are reading this over and over, like, I mean, do you feel like even now when you look at it, you're like, this line is crazy? Because I could mm-hmm. I could tell you. Well, it is funny because we write a lot of stuff. And, and maybe if, I don't know if you want to. I feel like I should explain the writing process from start to finish because it's a little, the way we just dove in and it's a little arcane the way that we write, but we write a lot of stuff and it's written by so many writers that like going back and reading mm-hmm. this, there were lines I forgot about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we, I mean, we have multiple projects going at a time constantly, so it's very easy to forget what we did last week, let alone months ago. But yeah, I mean, I think because the process, the generation process is so uh, distributed and, and, and sort of decentralized. And then also because so much of what we write is so absurd that it, yeah, I, I mean, it's nice because I can become sort of re-delighted or re-amused by some of these lines where I go back and I'm like, whoa, what was I did not remember that sentence at all. Do you have uh, a list of, because you said that each character has their own keyboard. So does that mean you've got lists, like for example, for Daphne, where it's like a list of like three words at a time? Like, what does that look like? The for each person. The reason I ask is because I would, I want to hear what I'm curious about is I, I'm curious about what words or mm. f- like small phrases came up the most for like uh, certain characters. So there are, I mean, you can run an analysis on a, on a corpus of text and fi- like ask for like, what's like a five gram or something, which is like five words in a row that the, the words that come like, uh, in a, in order most frequently, but most of what we're doing is looking at a list of words. We're not looking at a sequence. So you're looking at like, if I've typed in like I would like, which is the example we gave before, you'll get 16 or so suggestions as to the word that's most likely to come next. Mm-hmm. It's you don't see the word that's most likely to come after that or after that. It's it's word by word writing process. So essentially what we do is <clears throat> we create these predictive text keyboards depending on how uh, detailed we want to get. Usually we give every character a keyboard and it suggests what that character is most likely to say next, given the words that are already typed into the text field. Right much like the text messaging app suggests, regardless how much you've typed, what your next word is most likely to be, and then what the word after that's most likely to be when you select one, on and on. And so what we do is we separate them. So you know, if I'm writing, Mm -hmm. I usually have multiple browser tabs open, Mm -hmm. and I'll have Frasier, I'll have Niles, I'll have uh, Stage Direction, and you can also combine sources. So I can, you know, we've done a lot of stuff where it's, you know, phrase, you know, something meets something completely different. In this case, though, we isolate them. So mm-hmm. isolated by character, I've got all these keyboards open mm-hmm. and then I have a canvas, which is essentially a Google Doc. Right. Um, and what I'm doing is I'm trying to come up with lines for these characters. And the way that we start is that, you know, so I so I, I was the I don't know head writer, editor on mm-hmm. this project. The way I started was finding a bunch of Frasier scripts, giving them to one of our developers, asking him to split them up by character because it's easier than doing it manually to do it algorithmically. Mm-hmm. And then basically you just upload a text file into Voicebox, which is our tool. If you at home want to try it, it's completely available. It's open source. It's apps.botnik.org slash writer. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can upload any text file to there up to four megabytes and it will run 
like a .txt file, it will run the analysis on it and then quickly produce a predictive text keyboard. So you can put anything in there. You can put your own emails in there, whatever you want. We do it by character. And then, so I created all these keyboards mm -hmm. and then I, we use this tool called Woodhouse, which is just an internal little HTML website that we built. It's a voting tool. Mm -hmm. You can upload any amount of copy. It can be a sentence, it can be paragraphs, and then anyone can upvote it in the group. And so it's just a way of sort of like finding the lines because you can search by author, which is how I found a bunch of Amy's stuff just now. <laughs> nice. You can search by the newest, but you can also search by the highest voted. So it's a big repository. And so I created all these keyboards and then I had, this was, oh, sometimes we have small groups. This was, I think, anyone who mm -hmm. likes Frasier, you're welcome to participate in what we call a writing jam. Right? And so I send out all these keyboards and uh, everyone, you know, our team is distributed. So they're all across I was going to say all across the country. They're all across mm -hmm. the world. Is this the first time you guys are talking on the phone? Yes, we've never spoken on the yeah, phone before. Hi, Amy. Amazing. I've only talked to you and, about the uh, review, and that was just the call map. We did something for the call map, and I think I talked to two people on that, but that's the only time. Yeah, this is a tangent, but we have been gradually, you know, I was working with our managing editor, Nikki Martin, and then he came to New York a few months ago, and so we met for the first time in New York, and Botnik has large clusters, I would say, in Seattle, uh, Chicago, New York. I think there's some in the Bay Area. There's a couple of people in LA as well. Mm -hmm. We have running live shows in multiple mm -hmm. cities and a lot of us travel and, and uh, you know, uh, Jamie Brew, our CEO, has been touring right now and our CTO, Elle O'Brien, was touring with uh, Pop Magazine. Mm -hmm. So she, she came through all these different cities presenting Botnik. So we're a team of people who were sort of recruited, recruited online. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. We are a team of people who were recruited online uh, through a series of connections, but everyone has some connection to the CEO or to one of the people mm -hmm. there, but we don't all know each other. And it's been interesting because we're all gradually getting to know each other. I'll tell you what I'd love to do. I'm so, this has slightly what mm -hmm. to do with what you just said. But Amy, you had mentioned to me uh, via like Facebook message a long time ago that there have been like collaborations on like live events mm -hmm. with. And so like in my head. I'm like, man, how cool would it be if there was an entire like, you know, full 25 minute script, predictive script of Frasier, and then we could like put it on as a play. Mm -hmm. That's a dream of mine that I just came up with. <laughs> so I don't know what it would take to do well, that. It but. is funny because whenever we release, like when we released possibly our, our I think most popular piece was we, we put out this, we called it a new chapter of Harry Potter. It was called Harry Potter and the Portrait of what appeared to be, or of what looked like a large pile of ash. <laughs> and that was the name, the name of the book I put in heavy quotes was, was that. And, and then we mocked it up in Photoshop mm -hmm. to look like pages from a book. Like yeah. there's like a hand holding the book. Now, if you looked at it at all, you would see that the book cover was just the Order of the Phoenix book cover, I think. It was one of the covers. I forget which one mm -hmm. that we just changed the text on. There wasn't even original art. Wow. Um, we just used the fonts. And so many of the comments that we got were... Um, write the whole thing. Were, where can I buy? No, no, I can. No, and even right. Yes, there was I'll that, but also, book. where can I buy this? Where is the book? When is the yeah. book coming out? We I, give us money. We'll, get, we'll take our money. We will. But to the point where we uh, got a phone call from J.K. Rowling's lawyers, like you're not selling this book, are you? And we we're like, it's not real. It's not real. Whoa. Yeah, it was a wild week. Uh, sounds very wild. Oh, I meant to ask. So it sounds like this was a very long process. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't finish. No, well, Can I give you the bullet point version? I, I realized I got off. I mean, well, it was already pretty long. <laughs> That's why <what> I <laughs> Everything realized. Everything you just said. So, um, I, but, but, but I am curious. It's a complicated process. How long did it take from start to finish this entire process to getting this actual script out? Probably like two mm -hmm. weeks, I think. Oh. Maybe three. Wow. Yeah. I right. mean, we're doing a lot of projects simultaneously. So it's like. I'm editing this. So I, you know, so we all, we all write copies separately with no idea of a narrative in mind. We all pitch it in this tool called Woodhouse. Everyone votes on it. I go and look, I usually pull the top 10 or 20 most popular quotes. Ones that don't get a lot of votes sometimes make it in. Otherwise, it's just mm -hmm. a good way of surfacing. Like these are the funniest lines. We're usually chatting in Slack, which is a, like a multi-channel oh, Slack know app. Slack. Just I'm for your, every for your listeners night. who yes. might not be part of a tech company. Every Sunday night we write. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we're chatting about tone and stuff like that. And then my job as the editor is to go and I'm looking at like trends in this. I'm like, well, they talk a lot about, oh, these two lines could go together. And so some of these scenes where it seems like people are talking to each other, those lines were written by different people on different mm -hmm. days. And so then I go in and I build 
a narrative out of it. And then we have often the second phase that we call a targeted jam where I go like, hey, there's no scene header header here. Like you were saying the Midnight Guatemalan time, like we brainstormed a bunch of those one day and that was really fun to write. Or like, hey, I, I'll just be like to get from A to B here, like I need either Frasier entering, but instead of just saying Frasier enters, I want someone to find a funny way of saying that. Sure. But I'll make someone else do it because I'm being too predictive or, or prescriptive rather at this point. And then, or like, I need, there's there's a line where it had to establish, I remember specifically, Frasier being pompous. And uh, because there, I had written the line, you know what, Frasier, fancy espresso and a proudly difficult disposition aren't the same thing as being happy. And I was like, he needs to be, she needs to be reacting to some to something like that. And so it was like, okay, Frasier, and we had the line also about him, the man who once sp- swallowed spiders once again proves himself to be a braggart. Like, I like that reference to there was something like Frasier had, had, was a braggart, even though he had unwittingly sp- swallowed spiders once. But we had to have him proving himself to be a braggart. So mm-hmm. I that was like one of the prompts. And a bunch of people wrote Frasier dialogue, where it was mm-hmm. like the, the only thing they had to say was that Frasier has to prove himself to be pompous and, and, and unself-aware. And the winning one was, I think, by Michael Goodman. Oh, come on. He's average. I'm the one who might own Rembrandt's. So that was like a patch that was filled in. At the, that's one of the last things that we wrote. Sure. And you fill in all the gaps and then you go, it's too long. And then you cut it down and then you rewrite. And we're always rewriting in the predictive mm-hmm. tool. So it's a long and arduous it kind sounds of like backwards it. process to writing. But it allows us to write without any real constraints because there's no narrative. You can write any absurd thing you're thinking well, of. I liked his pondering suit. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, well, and I think that what he's talking about, I mean, I think it. Everyone that works on these has some role, usually is comedian slash writer. I just live in a state that there's not a lot of comedians. But the writing of that, instead of just saying, Fraser has Rembrandt, I think the script format, for, it needed to be in this format because that typical writer's phrase of show don't tell. So we needed to show mm-hmm. that. And so I think that that writer side of things, I think, comes into play. The people that write for this, I think, are really good writers too. A lot of them have written for. I mean, Matt has written for some pretty awesome sites. And I think that comes into play if you can't write that. And if you look at some other versions like this, you can tell when maybe it's a really funny person writing, but the the Mm -hmm. writing is not as much of that. I think there has to be that duality there. Even if they're a comedy writer, if they haven't written for other things as a real writer, there's a a double purpose Mm -hmm. with that where you have to know show, don't tell, and you have to know how to do this dialogue in a way that's not plotting or or boring and i think that a lot of that comes into yeah play. to some degree it it's does actually to, have yeah. to you have to understand sitcom format or 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 screenplay for or, or not just format but like like you said you have to understand how to be a good writer because not everything is going to be deconstructed and absurd like you have to actually convey information yeah. in an artful way and, and i was looking at daphne's keyboard and so to give you an indication of daphne's keyboard i typed i in the big long there's like a black space the text field, yeah. Within that keyboard, we may have had those five people, but the words that were available to them kind of dictated how much they said in the script. Because if you look in the script, you can see where the secondary characters have less dialogue. I mean, there's a, you know, within right. the show. So it Def- kind yeah, of guides that because they're going to come up with mm-hmm. more interesting things to say. But if you type in I for Daphne, you get itself, impressed, imagination, Irene. In, in, in imaginary, important, idiot, innocently. So you get some guidance. So you know already that Daphne is portrayed as being kind of innocent, but innocently comes up. So if you know her, then you automatically get this adverb that's going to describe what she's doing. So it gives you some of Absolutely. that where it kind of guides. She's, she has a big imagination. She's kind of, she's innocent. She's inviting. I don't remember who Irene is. I'm not sure why that came up, but I know there's probably there's probably a character a name that was said in one episode, yeah. It was said in one episode because you're you're not searching by the most likely word; you're searching by words starting with I. Yeah. So if you were just saying like the I, so it's just in there somewhere. If you're if you like put that in, and that's what your starting point was, you're coming up with words that help you in writing that about her. So you're seeing that come up, and so it kind of guides that. But I think it also guides Fraser's words might be much more interesting. There's a lot of repetition in here. So if you type, I would like for Fraser, you might get um, a whole different list of words where all of them are different and it guides you a little bit differently. So their dialogue comes what are, down like them. Do you, and I don't know if you have that in front of you, but I'm just curious, do you have Fraser's uh, 
I would like responses. I'm just curious. We can. Yeah, I have it right here. So I'm loading up the Fraser keyboard right now. All right. Well, we're all and, in uh, flat, so we have to kind of do things from the side sometimes. <laughs> uh, say that again? She said, did you say you do them from the site sometimes? We have to look this stuff up a little bit more from that far back. <laughs> oh, no, but I mean, I just have yeah. the Fraser yeah, keyboard in front of me. Oh, please. So I'm typing an I. Okay. And then if you type in Fraser, wood isn't even one of the first no, suggestions. Not. Really? You get, I don't, I think, I was, I know, I have, I just, I can, I am, I can't, yeah. didn't, guess, mean, thought. So I know <laughs> I can add the word because it's still in, it's still there, just not one of the 16 most. But his I words. Uh, so if I do, I would like, okay, yeah. And then, so I have this grid here of word suggestions. Hi, oh okay. <clears throat> can I see? Yeah, of course. So, okay. So, wow, these are all pretty, cu- oops, I don't know what I did. You broke it. Did I but, accidentally uh, no, no, no. Here, so, his I words are so very much you now. can just <laughs> tap any word. Uh-huh. So I type, okay, so I'm tapping this, and then more words come mm-hmm. up. Yes. So what have you just tapped? Which word did you select? This. And I then would look, like this. Uh, I would like this. Wine, calls, chair, may, good, duties. Right, so now we're getting deeper into the sentence, right? So you, I would like, and so now you're getting some nouns, and so wine is like obviously a, a, a common Fraser choice. Like it's giving you word selections that are um right, you know the deeper you get into the sentence the more the character is going to reveal itself so yeah i would like this uh yeah you know you have you have you can choose from any number of selections but the further you go i think you're going to find more uh you find like more <laughs> specifics that relate to the character yeah, so, so if i select wine i would like this wine mm-hmm. and pate <laughs> with uh cream so I can interrupt. And listeners, someone. just to let you know what, what we're doing right now is Nat has his phone out and we're using the predictive uh, tool yes. from Botnik. Botnik.org slash apps slash writer. So if you, you want to try it yourself. Yeah, it's fun. I feel like I'm going to download this um, so that I it's can. It's a web app. Then I, it's a, right? Yep. I'm 30 years old and I'm download this website. still learning technology, everybody. Yeah. Um, but yes, this sounds like a fun way to, I feel like there are endless possibilities here for, uh, doing some sort of, I dream of, of writing some sort of fan fiction. I've done, I've spent a lot of time talking about fan fiction on this podcast and have even pitched some shows, uh, including actually my episode that's coming out this coming week is with Joe Keenan, who's the executive producer and writer from Frasier. And he's written some of my favorite episodes. So I pitched him uh, Young Martin, which was my idea for a like a gritty prequel. He's a cop? In this? Um, yes, Martin's a cop. He's solving crimes with his psychologist uh, wife. Uh, yeah. I would watch that. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what oh, yeah. I'm ready for. So let me pitch you something right now. Yes. Using Botnik's technology. One of the things I mentioned earlier, and I know, again, this is a, there's a lot of details here, but we can combine two voices. Mm-hmm. You know, we recently Ooh. put out a song that was uh, Morrissey lyrics combined with Amazon reviews of the P90X home DVD workout system. Oh my. It's called Bored with This Desire to Get Ripped. I highly recommend you check it out. We have a music video online. Uh, But yeah, so so it turns out to be this like somber Morrissey song about getting a ripped body. Right. And... <clears throat> so we could mix Riverdale with Frasier. Yes, or I was going to say Homicide Life on the Street oh, or NYPD okay. Blue or something like if you picked a show that was like, oh, I want to see like this Frasier character, but on this style of procedural. Well, we could take that procedural and yeah. combine it with either just the Martin keyboard or, you know, just Martin. And you could also parse. You could be like, I want only action that has Martin in it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And then create a keyboard of only those action lines. No one else has mentioned in it. And then I want a Martin dialogue keyboard and I'm going to combine those. With Homicide Life on the Street or, like I said, The Shield, NYPD Blue, Magnum P.I. Ooh, Magnum P.I. Wow, the possibilities are truly endless. This, yes, I'm going to, you know what? So we will help you with this as well. Listeners, I'm curious. We can, if if, whoever's listening to this, when it comes out, I would love to hear from you. Is this something that should happen? I don't know. What show should she combine? Yes. What's the tone of Young Martin? What's the tone of Young? You can take something very pedantic like police training guides or something too that's what the p90x they come to class so you can pick something very ordinary but with true, character yeah. dialogue it makes it very funny so you can actually i yeah. think what yeah, yeah what i would what i would like want to find and i think uh you know 
listeners, you can help me with this. I think I would want to come up. I would never want to try, especially because John Mahoney has passed away. I don't, I personally can't, don't want to really see them get together without him. So the only way I could like be okay with it, I feel like, or at least one idea is doing something that's like a prequel with different yeah. people. I'm really dreading. I mean, we, t- I think we joked about this a little bit before, but or maybe that was off mic, but, uh, we, you know, but as we are recording this, the Murphy Brown reboot is about to come out or has just, yeah. f- just first aired. I mean, obviously the Roseanne reboot uh, came and fizzled <laughs> for obvious good reasons. And, uh, I mean, that, that it got canceled, but, uh, but we are in an, we are in an era of, of uh, aggressively rebooting Absolutely. 90s sitcoms with the exact same cast. And I'm kind of dreading the day that they do it to Frazier. Kelsey Grammer does that interview and says, actually, we're going to, we're going to do this. Listen, especially with Mah- with John Mahoney having recently passed away. I feel like a, it wouldn't be the same. I want, I want something completely different. Like I'm, I guess I am bringing up Riverdale again because at least the first season quite good mm-hmm. because it does not follow the exact same narrative. It's sexy. It's mysterious. As, as what, like the Archie comics. Since right. The I don't know if you've ever watched it, either one of you, but mm-hmm. Riverdale is not what I expected. It's there's, not the Archie tone at all. It's no, it's got the characters, but there's a darkness. There's a sexiness. Sex. And what would I like? Yeah. Maybe Murder. Frasier meets gritty meets sexy. That's right. Gritty, <laughs> sexy and Frasier. So um, I need to figure out which uh, which shows I need to mix together uh, in Botnik to get the results that mm-hmm. I'm picturing in my head. Um, but I feel like this might be a good note to end on. Um, yeah, Amy and and Nat, thank you so much for joining me. And thank you for having us. I'm very excited to see uh, what you, the both of you end up doing next, whether it be for like a show or, I mean, like, I, you know, obviously I was, I was combing through Twitter and I, I found uh, from Botnik, our predictive algorithm, uh, Read every issue of TV Guide from 1987 to help us bring you the inside scoop on all the hottest summer hits of 1988. So yeah, we predicted what's going to happen on TV in 1988. Yes. Shows like Fire, what? Cop a Feather, Street Father. There's some really good stuff there. Anyone who's listening, I highly recommend you check out uh, Botnik Studios. Yeah, we're um, Botnik Studios on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So. And I'll be, yes, and I'll be, uh, oh, and before I... I'll cut this out, but I'll, I'll definitely outro you guys. I don't know if there's anything, Amy, that you want to particularly plug or social media or anything. And, and same for you, Nat. Amy, is there anything you'd want, want me to mention? Well, and I think um, one of the things that is, that's going on right now, and Nat can speak more to this, but um, I'm just seeing something in our Slack that um, we're actually doing this end of music called The Songularity. And he can speak more to that, but I did just see that we're the featured campaign on Kickstarter right now. And we're actually. Yeah, I don't think this episode's going to air in time for the Kickstarter to be. Yeah, it did pass the Kickstarter thing. But I think that they. um, I just think that it's. To me, it's like a privilege to work with this group of people because there are so many. The talent, and just because I think there's something that comes together with that, that even though this is technology, I still think it takes it down to that base thing of these are people writing and creating. And there's something just really wonderful about that, that this is a new way of doing what we're doing. I mean, because I think a lot of things. Yeah, I think that we have a really, I don't know how you feel. I I get an enormous degree of imposter syndrome sometimes, even though I don't think anyone's ever made me feel alien or different in the group. But, you know, you look at, you know, for our example, our CEO was the head writer of Clickhole. He also has a degree in uh, neuroscience or neuropsychology, rather, and quit his job as the head writer of Clickhole to found this, co-found this company with Bob Mankoff, who was the longtime cartoons and humor editor at The New Yorker, who is also wow. currently the cartoons and humor editor at Esquire. Our CTO has like multiple. De- she's, I think, now getting her PhD. Mm-hmm. She has like multiple yeah. graduate degrees in like, I want to say pure mathematics and also neuropsychology. Like they're two of our two of our chief, uh, two of our two of our major developers are uh, work at Pixar, like the credentials I, I, f- get I feel it. everyone's smart. No, not okay. me. Oh, that's no, what I'm no, saying. No, like, no, the, no. like everyone else has credentials. I'd have no credentials. Like that's, what's amazing to me is, you know, I, I went to a college that was essentially an expensive summer camp for kids who want to make movies. Uh, but you know, you look at the group of people we're with and it is, it's intimidatingly high quality group of writers. But very I love it. Even for a, for a dummy like yeah, me. No one ever makes me feel yeah. that way other than me. <laughs> that's, that's very important but to I say. Think, it's, it's just the sheer status of all these people. I think all writers have that imposter syndrome, but I think that there's an inclusivity there that makes things more creative because you do have all those different viewpoints. And I think coming from those. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. And people come from, 
like Pixar has a very uh, specific way of treating creativity among their people. I mean, I remember reading in their philosophy, they're, they're one of their uh, something that Pixar put out that they choose to view that their employees should have this sort of unbridled creativity. And they're like, we realize that any rule or any structure that we create should be seen as a limit to their creativity. And that we want we choose to operate from that. Not that we can't have rules, but we choose to operate from the point that recognizing that anything we do is limiting our participants. And that's such a fascinating way to work. So when we work with these Pixar guys, they have a totally different angle on the way of creating things, for example. And it seems really fascinating. And, you know, our, CT, our CEO came out of ClickHole and The Onion, so he's got a different mm-hmm. writing process. So, yeah, it's really interesting to see all these forms of creativity mashed together. Well, I can't wait to see what you come up with next. Uh, Nat, do you have anything that you would like to plug? Yeah, sure. I mean, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I'm Nat Towson, N-A-T-T-O-W-S-E-N, to see me. Maybe I'm doing stand-up in your town. Or you can see the things that I write for not only Botnik, but other uh, comedy sources online. And I would say follow Botnik Studios on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Heck yes. I am also following Botnik on Twitter right now. Um, But thank you, Amy and Nat, so much for being here. Uh, And until next time, good night, Seattle. (laughs) 